Welcome to Highly Political, a podcast where two passionate ladies smoke weed, talk politics, laugh, and sometimes cry. With special guests from the world of comedy, cannabis, and politics. We haven't worked on Capitol Hill, but that's okay. We're paying attention, and so should you. We want you to be informed, like little democracy angels. So pack your bowl, grab some snacks, and let's get into it. And remember, when they go low, we get high. Today we're smoking Triple OG, a perfect spring strain with delicious floral and citrus notes, known to give you a body buzz to increase relaxation and, dare we say, pleasure. Later we sit down with Antoinette Gomez to talk all about that very topic. The CEO of Pleasure Peaks is here with us to make the world better. And the reason this country has a hard time accepting absolute love, but accepts gun violence with open arms. Two more white domestic terrorists strike again, one with misogynistic and xenophobic roots. Our crazy old cuckoo of the week who doesn't understand how to make convincing analogies and the Republicans have impeccable timing with mass emails. All right, T, light it up. I feel like this is more than needed than ever this week. Yeah, seriously. I am getting vaxxed tomorrow, though. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's exciting. Somebody we'll else out. I know just got vaxxed. I know. We've, we're going to be out here in these streets, y'all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm excited for I'm excited for everybody to get out there, get vaxxed, continue to, like, you know, keep this motherfucking pandemic under control. Okay, y'all? Um, <coughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm afraid again to go out. This fucking mass shooting shit. Dude, it's wild. It's crazy. Remember? Like, go ahead. Sorry. Do you remember the mass, the shooting in, um, I mean, it's like America. Do you remember the shooting uh, that happened during one of the, the Chris Nolan Batmans? Somebody shot uh, Aurora, up in the theater. In, in Colorado, Aurora, Colorado. Yeah. And yeah, we're going to get to Colorado in a moment. Um, but uh, yeah, Colorado's had a lot of like mass shootings. Yeah, I think they've had like twelve or something since Columbine. Um, but I, I every time I go to a movie theater, and I live movie theaters. I go I by mean, myself. I go. I'll, if I don't have work, I'll go. At, I'll. T- I will go to like a ten thirty five a.m. showing of a movie. <laughs> and it's like the best time to go because it's not like crowded and. Oh yeah, it's just me and all the uh, the old old people. That's um, when I used to take my papa to the movies. Oh. I'm like legit. I always look at exits for the first like 10 minutes of the movie with the credits and stuff. I'm not comfortable. I always used to look for exits because of earthquakes. But oh. now, I, but now I think about like, because mm, now, especially with like the stadium seating, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, mm, people are trying to get down here. Someone's going to trip and fall. It's going to cause like a <laughs> bottleneck in our exit strategy. I know. How many people am I with? Like, you know, there's so much to think about. And it's like crazy that now those are the types of things you think about. any, I guess when you go anywhere, like the grocery store or or stuff like that. But it's, um, I don't know, it's interesting that, you know, the now that people are starting to be outside more, these are starting to pop out more frequently yeah. than they had been during, you know, quarantine. <laughs> America's problems really shine in every day. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I guess we could. Okay, let's get to it. You know, we had like the fuck. We had the Atlanta shootings uh, a week ago, right after we recorded the last pod. Mm-hmm. Um, 
six Asian women died, eight victims total. Then we just had the shooting in Colorado, 10 victims. Um, these, these killers, they be out here alive. Yeah. Just getting water. <laughs> you know, just, you know, and then it's, again, it's just like interesting the way, I mean, specifically with like the Atlanta shooter, um, how it seems like the, uh, specifically, I guess, like the spokesman for the police at the time was kind of sympathizing and empathizing with him so much, you know, by saying like he was having a bad day and that this is kind of what he did. And it's just, it's kind of just interesting to kind of see like implicit bias, like at work, you know, it's like that man, it seems like that guy saw so much more of himself, like in that shooter, than he saw himself like in the victims. So it was yeah, easier he, for he him to relate. He also had a Facebook post that oh, was yeah. a little racially motivated about, a, you know, the China virus. Yeah, he had the COVID, yeah, like 19. It looked like the Corona, like, logo. And so he has a China virus underneath it or some bullshit, some T-shirts he was selling. Or, like, yes. at least shared a post. I don't know if he was selling them or he shared a post, at least. Of I mean, you. here's the thing, too, when you say with implicit bias. You can say that's innocuous, right? Like, oh, he just thought, like, he shared that post, whatever. It was a moment in passing, but... It you know every your your online actions paint a picture of who you are you know he uh, he stepped down he had to step down yeah. um, but not making it a racial issue I mean yo you don't have to fucking tell me that Asian women are like fetishized because I fucking grew up in pop culture right with with men right. Right. Just just the idea, like, it really bothered me, I think. Uh, uh, I guess this is the whole conversation around, uh, we don't know, like, this mo the, the motive, you know, and uh, Biden tweeted something about, uh, God, what was the specific, I can't remember the specific tweet, but it said specifically, like, while we don't know the motive right now, we do know, like, the Asian American community is in pain. And I just think it's fucking bullshit to try to erase the fact that race was is like implicitly a part of this motive it, it, yeah it can be it can be more than one thing exactly it can be racism it can be misogyny it can be mental health it can be a gun issue right. all of those things wrapped in one because right we like refuse to dig down deep for all of the underlying causes right and it's like, and, and just the, just the motive that it was like that it's oh it's all about a sex addiction it's like I'm sorry I've never heard that sex addiction causes you to go out and violently murder people. Yeah. Yeah. Like what the fuck? I just, it's just, it's just really, it just, well, also that's what he, that's what the shooter was saying. Right. Yeah. That's what he, the, that was, and that was the, what the uh, domestic terrorist was saying. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's saying that he has, you know, a sex addiction and he was trying to eliminate temptation and, um, you know, it was interesting, like, it, you know, we start to read articles about like what happened and I'm like so frustrated because there's so much more in depth about the fucking terrorist and his life and what he's about than the victims. And right. but, you know, the articles I was reading was were talking about his roommates that he, he lived with at a uh, rehabilitation kind of like halfway house kind of uh, center. Um, and they were talking about how, yeah, he was um, like would talk about how he would try to abstain from like masturbation and like sex and would um would like 
go to them and like confess like his quote unquote sins when he would you know break that temptation and it was just like again it's just so interesting and like just kind of crazy to see how like how suppressing like sexuality and you know sexual desire can manifest right, and the misogyny like, and the misogyny of it all yeah it's blaming, just, it, blaming it on the women yeah and then i guess apparently he was going to continue to florida because he thought there was some kind of huge porn industry or headquarters or something there that he was going to go like continue his you know what would have stopped the temptation if you just killed yourself bro yeah like <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, terrible. I mean, I, I mean, isn't there, isn't there like some Bible verse that says something about like men? Girl, I do not. Like, you, I don't know a Bible verse. Well, it's just because I, just because I've seen, I've just seen it like floating around in like tweets and memes or shit or kind of about like, you know, like something about lusting after like women or something like you're supposed to like gouge your eyes out or something. Oh yeah. Gouge your eyes out. <laughs> do that. <laughs> but it's, it's just. It's just really, de- it's just tragic and depressing and um, clearly a symptom of like the increased, you know, hate and violence towards the Asian community over this last year. Yeah. Um, there was a study for this, uh, the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at a California State University, San Bernardino. Uh, examined police data in 16 major cities and hate crimes targeting Asian Americans rose 150% in the last year. Rose 150%. And uh, I guess, you know, no surprise, women and the elderly are receiving more of the racism and hate overall. Wow. God, people are just- The The vulnerable targets, right? Right, they seem like an easy target. Um, that late, that old, uh, that older in San Francisco, that fucking guy attacked her, and she fucking beat his ass with a stick. And uh, I think they raised over like nine hundred thousand dollars for a GoFundMe for her, and um, her family says that she wants to donate that money uh, back to the the community. Oh, what a saint. Yeah, basically she was like, this ain't nothing new. This has been mm-hmm. happening, you know, to us since we came here. And, you know, it was more about like protecting the community and, and trying to provide more resources for them. There's this idea that um, I just, you know, been reading the past week and that a scholar, I guess, I mean, like, it's just in the culture that I've never noticed. It's in the zeitgeist and um, it's the forever foreign um, um, like way of thinking of Asian Americans, ah. that they're f- like foreign forever, you know, no matter, they're just still like, no, I mean, how many, yeah, how many generations they've been exactly, here. which I never heard or, 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 uh, I've never heard that, but I can totally see that happening since the dawn of when they emigrated to the U S yeah, you know, it's like I feel like I've never like heard it personified in that in that way. And like now that, you know, you kind of point that out, it's like that is a very interesting kind of just like kind of way to look at it, you know, with the big yeah. things. And also, I didn't 
know about this, or maybe I just don't remember learning. I don't know. But in 1875, there was the Chinese Exclusion Act. Yeah, I was reading about that today. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Dude. It is the language used in that. It, it, it literally says, it's the, the law says, it shall not be lawful for any Chinese laborer to come or having so come after the expiration of said 90 days to remain within the U.S. It's okay. Okay. Come over here and build our railroads for cheap. Right. Make the fuck, you know, it's so disgusting what we learned in the history books. We learn about like the cross continental railroad built during that time and the laborers right. who built that, but we didn't learn about, I didn't learn about the Chinese exclusionary act. No, but I learned about those goddamn railroads mm -hmm. and louder the American achievement. It's, I mean, it's gross. It de definitely dehumanizes them, calls them laborers, not even people, yeah. not even um, exactly like no matter what, they will not be, uh, they cannot make their roots here. They have to be gone within uh, 90 days. Yeah, that's wild. Hey, come and here, then, treat you like shit and then kick you the fuck out. Yep, yep. America. And then I mean, the fuck, I mean, let's, the Japanese internment camps. <laughs> I was gonna say I mean, during World War II. I mean, yo, dude, that was not that long ago. There's uh, a mall back home, uh, Tan Fran Mall, that was built like on the area where one of those internment camps were. But like, you know how many times I went to that mall as like a child and like a young adult, even, and had no idea about that really until, you know, I think there was like some kind of monument or something that like probably like talked about that but it wasn't you know we were just like at the mall like was it just like poltergeist or shit like what oh. this seems very inappropriate <laughs> there's just a serious so literal thing. shopping mall there would be you know a claire's or something yeah dude there was a movie theater there's a food court hot dog on a stick like oh man that's well, gross maybe. yeah tan fran mall damn but yeah it's not crazy i mean when we, we went around and snatched people up we're out here fighting a war about, about people in concentration camps and we were like we're just coming back to our country we're like you know what we're just gonna snap up some people we're just gonna call them no we're gonna call them internment camps though yeah it's like <laughs> i just that's just i mean technically it is technically it was different right but but i mean it's still it's still terrible but it's not you know yeah but still it's like it's just inter i mean it's not it's interesting i guess it's obvious why but it's just interesting that 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 isn't taught or isn't more of a prevalent conversation about like our history. You would think if we if we were truly committed to like changing and like writing right. those and wrongs, we would we would be so much more aware of our past like grievances and our past like, you know, faults. Like, like how else can you change unless you really can figure out like how and why were we able to let this happen? But and it's instead, back to just, that forever foreign thing. Yeah. You're in the U.S., but we're the J Japan's part of the axis of evil. So right. therefore, your your alliance is automatically going to be with Japan. You know, that's where it starts. Little kids, damn. It's funny when you try to remember what you were saying a moment ago, and you're like, "Oh, internment camps." Yes, I was talking about American internment camps. Right. Oh my god. And then 
We're gonna have, we're gonna fucking after World War II, after we put our own citizens in internment camp because we can't trust them. The government fucking flies over German scientists to fucking throw in our our science programs and shit. Did you not know about that? Yo, that okay. That's gonna be another episode. That's gonna be another episode. I feel like that sounds familiar, but that just sounds sounds that sounds about white. Like (laughs) that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, FGR was a. was given a uh, was given social services to the whites. <laughs> he uh, openly excluded. He knew that blacks were being excluded from uh, the GI Bill. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember that. I remember that episode. <laughs> Throwing um, uh, Japanese Americans, uh, just arresting them. You know. How scary! Yeah. I just can't. I just can't imagine like, you know, hearing the news or kind of hearing what's going on and thinking about your family and just thinking like oh shit are they gonna come and get us and like how long are we gonna you know then they you know then you're in there and like how long are we gonna be in there and you know people died in there and it's just like I just again it's just like you said that wasn't that long ago and like there's still people who are like healing from like that experience and like healing from hearing the firsthand like accounts from their family members about those experiences that it's man just like just carrying that you know it's like it's like it's just really heavy just for your day-to-day you know like sometimes I think you forget about that kind of like ancestral trauma or burden sometimes you carry I wonder yeah I wonder what would uh how people would react today. I mean, thank God, I hope it wouldn't happen, but if, let's just say Trump, if Trump was trying to pull some Chinese people gotta stay home bullshit. I think. I uh, wonder, I wonder what. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, that uh, took a vacation to DC on January 6th yeah. would uh, aid in a bed in the, okay. <laughs> trying to make something like that happen. Um. But there are some charities and organizations I want to highlight real quick. Um, yes, 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 yes. The uh, Asian American Resource Center is a Georgia-based nonprofit that offers assistance to struggling Asian American families. Um, and things like secure housing, provide um, English literary, uh, literacy and civics classes to immigrants so they could pass um, their citizenship. And that's the Asian American Resource Center. And then another one that caught my eye was the National Organization of Asians and Pacific Islanders Ending Sexual Violence. Mm. And um, that supports local and international community-based programs that offer services to victims of sexual violence um, from the uh, AAPI communities in the U.S., Asia, and U.S. territories in the Pacific and, that one's, and then we have NAPCA, which is uh, based in San Francisco, and it is um, the National Asian Pacific Center on Aging, mm. and it gives to the community. Um, it tries to place senior citizens in jobs, things of that nature, gives them resources, NAPCA. So those are some organizations and charities if you want to, you know, help out your Asian, your fellow Asian Americans, your fellow Americans. Those seem like... Uh, doing some groundwork stuff What's up? um but don't be xenophobic yeah please don't you know 
We don't got fucking time for this shit anymore, okay? You know what? Read a book. Just instead of, instead of being xenophobic, just read a book. Read the fucking room, dude. Read the room. <laughs> okay? Like, we're tired of this shit. Like, it's enough, okay? So just fucking enough is enough. And uh, yeah, guys, like, let's support those organizations say I'm listed and, um, you know, support people who are out there doing this work because... Uh, there's definitely a lot of work to be done. And then and then that leads us all these murders of these people lead us to the fucking gun debate in America. That is absolute bullshit. Tiana, I looked up there was this article on Vox that said it was it said how to get a gun in 12 countries or something. Oh my like god, but it, right. Okay. Majority, majority are take a test, go to a shooting range, you need a doctor's note. So that you're mentally fit. Oh, I was like, you need a doctor's note to get a gun? What kind of ailment do you need a gun for? But I see yeah. the exact opposite. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, and uh, America is just get, like, pass a background check, get a license. Yeah. Didn't the, the Atlanta terrorist get, like, his gun that same week? Or even oh, that I'm same sure. day or some shit? I don't know. I might be, that might be the exaggeration. The other but... country that's like us, that's just, you can get it very easily, is Yemen. And that country is uh, is the second um, oh. in gun violence. So y'all, interesting statistics. Studies, okay. Yep. <laughs> studies again and again and again and again and again have shown that it's because America has too many guns. It's not that we are Americans are more inherently violent than other countries. It's access. Right. The reason we have so many fucking homicides is because we have so many guns. Yeah, everybody. I mean, it's like. If you have access to the deadliest like <laughs> choice, and you just like gonna you know, fly off the handle or you're unfit, I don't. I just I just don't understand how you could be against, you know, background checks and you know making. I I would think you'd want someone to know how to actually operate a gun. Like it, it seems ridiculous that I could just go buy a gun. I have no idea how to handle a gun, you know, how to hold a gun properly. You I mean, how to yeah. store a gun properly just i just could go in and be like thank you goodbye bye i guess i'll find out how to use it <laughs> i'll figure that out on my own but they i don't know i mean guns scare me i go back and forth like i never want to hold a gun or shoot a gun and then part of me feels like well you know the fact is like you know our country is inflated with guns it would seem it seems kind of irresponsible not to know how to safely handle one yeah, I, I agree. Americans make up 4.4% of the global population, but own 42% of the world's guns. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> if I was, if I was a mom in a different country and my teenager or my college student was like, I'm going to go study abroad in America, mama. Never. Like, no, you're not. You know how many guns they have over there? Stay here in Finland where we're yeah. chilling. I remember when I was in um, fourth grade, uh, I made a new friend. I think she like came into town like in October. My birthday's like early November. So I invited her over for like a birthday party. It was a sleepover. I just kind of give you that timeline to say that her family didn't really know my family that well. And when they mm-hmm. first like came over, one of the questions I asked my family is if there was a gun in the house. And like my mom's like, no, but we like really like that you asked us that question. <laughs> like, look at you being all 
like proper parenting <laughs> damn yeah they were really cool lesbians so there you go oh, okay well bay area lesbians super cool oh yeah they, <laughs> I would, a bay area lesbian honestly like you. in my whole entire life are I they think, all doulas no they're just they're just honestly the two coolest people and probably like the healthiest example of a relationship i've ever seen in my life so um shout out to kit and elaine shout out to you ladies but yeah we didn't have a gun up there but um but it's interesting that you have to kind of think about that kind of stuff because that's wild to think like you could send your kid to somebody's house and they don't even think to like lock their gun up and then like their kids like showing your kid the gun and like uh, you know i just when I found out there was a gun in the house of the family I was babysitting, something in me just got, I was like, oh, I told you about the, I think I've talked about it on the podcast when that guy shot the gun. Through our yeah, team. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have shat my pants and sued the shit out of that person. Dude, it was like scary. At, I mean, it wasn't scary as when it happened because we didn't know what happened. But like when we realized that that gun, had got, you know, bullet had flown through our living room. That shit was scary. And how old do you think the person, how old was the person who went with the gun again? He was a college age person? If I was living there, I had to be like 20, 21. So he had to be 21. Okay. Go, yeah. Could be older than 22. Definitely, but probably was 21. <sighs> it wasn't um, a gun, but yeah. Every, uh, every year, nearly 350 children aged 17 and under gain access to a gun and unintentionally shoot themselves or someone else. And Tiana, do you think federal law prohibits all domestic partners from having guns? Domestic partners from having guns? No. Um, no, to, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's right. All domestic partner abusers. Oh, you didn't say abusers before. Yeah. Federal law prohibits like, all just, domestic abusers from, you just, from I guess, having guns. I didn't, I didn't hear abusers before. I was like, you can't just be in a relationship having a gun. I'm like, that makes sense. But yeah, but maybe I, <laughs> I mean, I'm high, but maybe so maybe I read it wrong. <laughs> you know? But no, I uh, this is the one time uh, I won't fail the <laughs> the question statistic game. I actually know that yeah, you can beat the shit out of somebody and have been you know charged for that and still be able to you know own a gun. Yep. Um, it does not cover abusive dating partners or convicted stalkers. I'm sorry. If you come the fuck on convicted stalkers can get, I mean, of course, I mean, I'm not, why am I so surprised? Why am I so surprised? Yeah. My friend had a stalker that showed up at our work and he drove like a few hours to get there. And I think he ended up getting his guns taken away when like he got the restraining order issued against him. Good. Right. He showed up to our I mean, work with rope in his car. No. Oh. Yeah, it was scary. Oh, shit. Yeah. And you know what? What can we do? Right? Are we gonna make it harder to own guns? More challenging? More challenging to buy them? Courses, mental check, scarcity of gun shows. What do our lawmakers want to do? You know what? Do you know what Lauren Bobert? Uh, like campaign, like email sent out. Like you, no, like, I don't. Please, please, just please like within, me. within. I don't know. With like while it was happening, or within hours it was started. The Colorado shooting, they sent out a like campaign fundraising. You know, kind of asking for money email 
that had the um, subject line, I told Beto, hell no to taking our guns. Now we need you to tell Joe Biden. And the email says, radical liberals in Washington led by Speaker Nancy Pelosi and with President Biden's blessing and support are trying to violate your due process and criminalize the private transfer of firearms. This effort can only end with one thing, turning law-abiding citizens into criminals. That's what they want. Do you think the gang members, drug runners, and thugs will obey their laws? Of course not. This is about pushing conservatives who want to keep the right to defend their family and their livelihood. Yeah, I told Beto, timing. hell no. It's like the timing. Yeah. They as soon as a mass shooting, as soon as a mass shooting happens, they have this shit ready. Yeah. They're like a mass shooting happens, and they send out to more people. We, we, it's okay. We have to get more guns. We can't. Yeah. They're. Like, do you send me ten dollars? They want to defund our police. They think they want to take or they they oh, then they want to take our guns what do you think comes next we cannot lose this right but it's like you know there's no you know the articles i was reading said that you know it's not sure if that was already like a scheduled email that was supposed to go out or whatever but it's like even if it was like nobody was thought like oh shit we got that gun email going out in like two hours maybe we should oh oh please they know what they're doing i mean i know they don't care they know I know, but you know, just to play, you know, just to be like, there's no evidence that they specifically right now, like from the article is reading that they intentionally did it. Mm. Still, no matter how you look at it, it's fucking fucked. Well, cause yeah, cause Beto said his number one issue is going to be gun violence. And um, uh, Beto retweeted a tweet that base that's um, that said it was from a verified person, maybe in Texas that apparently um a group of people died during a hot air balloon ride and Ted Cruz uh, passed or, you know, pushed for all these uh, regulations on hot air balloons. Right. But as, but yeah. What are they doing for It's because like, you know, and then the the person made the the point. It's because hot air balloons don't have lobbyists. They're not like in the pockets (laughs) of Ted Cruz. Right. Well, I mean, just like look like all the laws they're trying to put in place to, you know, to try to stop voter fraud when there was like what, like two cases of voter fraud mm-hmm. this past election <laughs> and how many like gun related deaths and they're not interested in putting any like more regulations. It's just like you said, it, it's 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 all bullshit. It's all about the money. It's all about trying to keep their jobs. And it's it's just really depressing, specifically. When and then we, it's another and we country have these... show that like better gun control and limited access like makes sense and you know decreases these types of events from happening um but yeah we need we need a majority in the senate and the house to make these things happen because people are already going to put pressure on fucking joe mansion yeah bullshit um but yeah the the i don't know the but there are two bills HR one for voting and like HR, I forgot the number, but for, um, it's closing, it's closing this certain North Carolina loophole. It's called, I forget. It's probably just like, uh, probably the transfer of guns and Mm. some from hand to hand. And it also strengthens or increases background checks for a certain, in a certain capacity. I see. So, um, Republicans clearly aren't going to vote for them. (laughs) Um, But yeah, oh, teach, should we get to our kook of the week real quick? It's the crazy old kook of the week. Why you gotta be so fucking crazy? 
Yes, uh, our kook of the week is Kentucky Senator John Kennedy, who uh, had some very, you know, interesting ways to try to uh, debate the gun control at the Judiciary Committee hearing. Um, he said that uh, we're not going to agree on. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He said we have a lot of drunk drivers in America. We ought to try to combat that, too. But I think that what many people on my side of the aisle are saying, too, is the answer is not to get rid of all sober drivers. The answer is to concentrate on the problem. Nobody is trying to take away people. <laughs> sober drivers, what are you talking about? And I mean, and, and there are like regulations about for, for drunk drivers and sober drivers about, you know, the amount of alcohol you can, you know, legally have in your system and you have to register with a license and register your vehicle and like all these there's so much in there's so much involved yeah so much involved it's just and yet they it sometimes happens and there are mass there are mass shootings in other countries right there are but nowhere near what we have so sometimes it happens it slips to the cracks but we just want to try to eliminate as many of those cracks as possible right that's such a weak ass bitch stupid analogy it's it's the dumbest analogy and it's just like it's 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 frustrating because it's a dumb analogy and like people voted for you to come all the way to dc to say dumb shit like this and you think that's like sufficient that's your argument i came all the way from california to hear you say this like i would be piss like can we do some real work here can we have some real debates can we have some real conversations like if you really would like to debate this this topic then have something real to say don't say shit to me like oh well you know uh we want to you know make sober drivers illegal to try to stop drunk drivers like yeah no shit sherlock that's not even close to what i'm talking about here <laughs> what the fuck i just don't understand how people don't get more like flabber like i would get so flustered and annoyed when people say dumb shit like this to me on also Earth. he's saying we ought to combat that too bro we do yeah what do you mean what is not combative about that if a police officer thinks somebody's drunk sirens right away they're gonna pull him over like right. tiana said all of the all of the <laughs> steps you have to take to even get behind the wheel of a car right and then you have to be a certain age to even drink and you have to have a, and you have to get an ID to prove that you're that age. Right. And you think all those kind of checks and balances in, weren't in place that the number of drunk drivers or fatalities or just accidents wouldn't increase, you know, or what, you know, it would just stay this, what it is now. You don't think that we've decreased these numbers, you know, it just, again, it's, it's, I think the argument is just, you know, of course, I think we're never going to, like you said, it's not like we're going to stop these things indefinitely, but we clearly have an opportunity to decrease the amount of the frequency also, in which I they never are happening. See, there's no gun checks on 4th of July on the beach. You know, like there's right, DUI checks right. everywhere, every holiday, right? every there's holiday. Like, yeah. There's even like security on the beach sometimes like pouring out alcohol. Yeah. I've, I've known some friends who have gotten some summons mm -hmm. from public alcohol on the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are gonna be getting them this summer. Once people get back, <laughs> yeah. they're gonna be out there risking oh. it. They're not even gonna be trying oh. to hide it. <laughs> oh my god! They're gonna just be chugging alcohol, jumping in the ocean. I feel alive. <laughs> oh my god! It's totally gonna be you. I'm totally That's gonna, gonna be me. You. See, I'm don't drown, please. I can't rescue you. <laughs> oh man, I cannot wait. I love that ocean. I'm out there like a 
little a little dolphin <laughs> just swimming with my brother and my my brother my whale brothers and sisters love it <laughs> and now we're talking with Antoinette Gomez a cannabis and sex advocate who is the CEO of Pleasure Peaks thank you for joining us today thanks for having me I'm so happy to be here yeah. Gone to gone from creeping on your Instagram to guest on the pod. So yeah, I, I was, love it. I was in um I was in a sessions. I think it was like a couple weeks ago that you were one of the speakers in uh, about a Asian black cannabis. I mean, I'm sorry, not cannabis about um allyship and accountability. Really that was it. such a dope class. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really I really love that um that Bianca and Gigi have like created that space to kind of like just hold, just hold space for people to have these types of conversations. And um, it was great to kind of to see you involved. And now I'm really stoked to have you here with us on the pod. So happy to be here. Yeah. Like I've been following you guys on Instagram too. <laughs> I think what you guys are doing are, is so incredibly important and empowering. I love politics and I love pot and there's so many um, synergies, whether that's career wise or, you know, just everything because our politics touches every part of our lives. And a lot of people don't think of that, but it's true. It's so true. <laughs> and uh, I'm so glad that you guys are you know, just raising awareness or shedding light on a topic on cannabis that's often overlooked, but incredibly important. So, so happy to be here and sess with some awesome ladies. (laughs) Wow. What were you uh, smoking on right before you joined us on the pod? Um, smoking some delicious pink kush right now. It's the best. It's best. Nothing beats it. (laughs) (laughs) um pinkish obviously an indica yeah for sure like a hybrid but indica dominant Mm -hmm. like one of canada's best genetics that have ever come out of this country (laughs) what what is the overall cannabis scene in in canada is it much like the u.s or what are there hot spots like california is known you know or oregon but canada the mirror (laughs) the mirrored version of that Yeah, the provinces, right? Um, Mm -hmm. What I love about Canada is that we have been smoking pot before it was legal, as Drake says, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's such a huge part of Canadian culture. I remember going to like one of my first boyfriend's parents' house for Thanksgiving in high school, you know, being like 17 or 16 or whatever. And the grandparents just, you know, welcoming me with a joint. Oh <laughs> like cannabis was just so incredibly oh. apparent in Canadian culture. And it's very different across the provinces. Like you mentioned, like the difference between California and Colorado. I feel like California is very much like Vancouver, where we actually had more dispensaries than Starbucks and McDonald's combined at one point, pre-legalization, pre-legalization, which is amazing because that was just the culture that was accepted, respected, and um, just just thrived on its own naturally off of patients and off of, you know, people who have been working within an industry for a while. Very interesting to see. I actually came from the legacy market. So I started working pre legalization and I, and that's the reason why I'm still in this industry today is that 
the fight has always been to gain access to cannabis for those who need it, affordable access and um, quality products. And of course, this plant has the opportunity to change this world when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to textiles, when it comes to um, energy. Um, so I'm really interested on all of those ways as well. And it's really important to voice those opinions to political leaders and, and you know, people who are in those spaces to, to do those things because we, we can't do what we don't see, right? That's why representation matters so much. That's what I read for office, I ran for office once. So it's, it's so incredibly important, all of it. <laughs> uh, well, when you ran for office, what like position or what, what did you run for? I ran for city council. Uh, I did because I really wanted to just get my feet wet, you know, and see what this career would be like. And I was just absolutely obsessed after going to, you know, just different political rallies. I was just obsessed with the momentum and, um, energy that you would have. It was almost like a festival or a conference, right? Like I love our cannabis conferences, right? We're very, you know, networking like crazy, learning like crazy. And um, it's such a beautiful, empowering thing to be a part of because we're growing at such a fast rate. Right. When it comes to politics, it's all about, all about numbers. How can we grow our community? How can we all be on the same page to get our point across right how can we make it happen and I think both of those gross experiences are just things that I absolutely adore and um, and I was just absolutely fascinated on how how much impact it has on everyday people and how everyday people don't really think about this as as much as they should mm -hmm. and I think that the more we become aware about it the, the better our societies will reflect the people that live in them, right? So. Was, was your process just a bunch of debates or something? How, how did the election work? Because my oh friends were at the council in Palo Alto. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy because I'm saying the word crazy so much. It was just so big. <laughs> it was very interesting and surprising because it was the first year in 20 years that we had 50% of incumbent seats, open seats, right? And that is huge. So if you think about that, could you imagine your city council, like 50% of them leaving and then getting mm. fresh faces, mm. fresh faces of diversity on sex, race, culture, you know, viewpoints, um, education and backgrounds. I was so excited to see what Toronto could look like since we are a country and city specifically that thrives off of diversity and I was so excited to be a part of that. And, you know, since politics is something that's so interesting to me and shocking about that is I knew that information, but I was shocked on how little people were doing about it. Mm. I was like, how are we not like so excited about this? How are we not talking about this? How are we not just like advertising AF about this? You know, like, so I uh, was really interested to be involved and, I did, and I found, you know, partners that would help me as they helped other other campaigns in the past. And it was so beautiful to be a part of that. But Doug Ford, our, who was the, the leader of the Conservative Party at the time, <laughs> decided to consolidate 
consolidate 50% of the words. So he actually just took, he, he made all of the, um, he just changed all of the lines, all of the lines in oh Toronto. So we actually have less words now since like 30, 15. So <laughs> that was the biggest, you know, carpet being pulled out of the run because so many you know, people have run, put tons of money into their races and weren't able to actually be a part of the table. And yeah. how did that conversation not even get blown up internationally? Because we're Canadians, we're nice about it. Or it's like, it's okay. You know, it's like the dog, which is so bad. But, and you know, that's why so I'm known as like the angry person in the States. <laughs> but it's just because I'm very passionate about these things. And I love and, and and they're worth fighting for all the time, you know, and it's, I'm really interested to see how the future generations will take it, generate Gen Z's and um, to come because I love that they're really sticking up for their rights and demanding for what they need. And um, it's, it's what we need to continue that way for sure. Yeah. And I, and I think they like see more that if they get involved, that's really how like the changes that they're seeking can like happen and that it's, you know, I mean, I guess until somebody comes and like eliminates half of, you know, <laughs> the positions you are running for, um, you know, once you get in there, it's easier to make changes. But like, I just can't believe that happened. I can't imagine like <laughs> having a campaign like everybody and then they just come out like, by the way, um, we just decided we're just not going to like actually have 15 we're just gonna or 30 we're just gonna bring it to 15 that's just and like you said that that more people weren't or, or like maybe obviously knew that happened because like you would think people would be like pissed off about that yeah because it's a you want so it's it's very similar to american politics so one of my questions is like do you guys have batshit politicians well okay check sure but um, <laughs> it's like the voting laws down here you know they want to change all the rules before people can come in and while, while they can, they're grasping, like so you said, the conservative party, I'm assuming it's uh, very similar to here. They're losing, they're losing their footing. They're losing voters, young, fresh, diverse, um, enthusiastic faces rising up. They would just want to rig the game. So you guys can't even play. Right. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what's happening, you know, here with voter, voter restriction and the way they drop districts that could lead to similar um, things like taking seats away from people who could run. It's just like stopping the game. It's not even like rigging it at this point. <laughs> just being like, you know what? I'm noticing that I'm, I may not win this game and I've been cheating. So I'm just going to say the game's over. It's like flipping over Monopoly in the middle because you're just like angry. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> Come close to that as a child. <laughs> oh my. So in Canada, like, do we have batshit crazy politicians? Like, of course, haven't you seen these crazy pictures of Daddy Trudeau? The fact that we call him Daddy Trudeau is an issue, okay? Like, come on now. The fact that he's, like, kept us in Canada. He's kept everyone in Canada since March, basically. He's closed everything. Oh, that's and, right. And, like, I, I, I saw my friend yesterday, and the last time I saw him before that was five months. My best friend my best friend um every like i see everybody else through facetime i don't see anybody because we've been in quarantine and i live in toronto the city of toronto where everything's closed and prior to covid i would travel to different cities and countries three times a month i have oh, traveled wow. twice outside this year um or once um 
And so with that being said, actually, yeah, once <laughs> this year from March to March. So you guys wild. did the Australian approach, basically. This is what's interesting is that he from the Liberal Party is because I love I love looking at the scale of the conservatives, you know, being like the very like far right, the new Democratic Party or NDP being incredibly left and liberals being in the middle here in Canada. And what I love is that the liberals did in the sense where they closed our borders and they said that um, as long as you just stay home, we'll basically pay you like two grand a month to just stay home. So everybody's like employment in their sir we had their sir which is like a canadian employment like emergency fund or something mm-hmm. and then like it's still going on which is wonderful but it's so insane that that's happening at the same time i can't imagine how much this is going to affect our economy as the canadian dollar doesn't go anywhere ever you know like every time i'm in the states it's like it's so unfortunate i feel like i spend a hundred dollars at starbucks for some reasons Mm -hmm. um it's 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 pretty wild so i find that it's wonderful that a lot of people are being taken care of because we need it to be so like they've done a lot of thing for landlords and and you know tenants and stuff like that to make sure that everybody's okay um but yeah, it's very interesting. We, we're still very low on our vaccines, unfortunately. So yeah. we'll see how that ha- will go. I think the elderly are doing really well, the 80s. But, um, but we're still like really, really low compared to, obviously, the states. It's quite impressive. I think you guys are going to be like, yeah, it, anybody will be eligible over the age of 18 by like May or something. Who knows? But. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's what they're they're saying by the end of May. Um, we should have enough vaccine vaccines for everyone over 18 and i think california is um newsom said we should have that for april nice oh Oh, yeah Mm -hmm. um i mean i'm getting my first vax tomorrow nice chat about um can you tell us a little bit about uh pleasure peaks and um how it all started for sure i started pleasure peaks when i was in school to be a holistic nutritionist and I was falling in love with my curriculum every day. I'm learning about natural healing. And I wanted to intern at a place and I found a, um, a dispensary um, that was also like a chronic pain clinic. So this was pre-legalization. Like we've had like, what is it? MMAR, MMPR, ACMPR. So three different revisions of, the, of our legal cannabis system Mm. and I was involved very much at the very beginning (laughs) where it was very lax and I love that approach because it was a compassion model Mm -hmm. and the model was that if you were a patient and you were prescribed cannabis you can basically just have cannabis and you can make your own products and you can grow your own plants depending on your prescription whether you were prescribed like one gram or 100 grams or one plant or four Mm -hmm. plants that's what you were able to have on your person um, and up to 30 grams at a time. It was so interesting to work at a chronic pain clinic, a compassion club, and see all of these walks of life tell me for the first time, 
you know, cannabis is helping me with insomnia. Cannabis is helping me as a veteran with PTSD. Cannabis is helping me for endometriosis. Cannabis is helping me for, you know, PTSD, anxiety, um, like cancers, you know, so there's, there's so many anecdotal data that I was being, that I was seeing every single day I was mind blown that mm-hmm. this was a possibility, but the fact that it wasn't even a possibility, the fact that it was happening, I knew it was worth doing the research for. And it really came down to me having huge compassion for these women specifically, because I couldn't fathom some people not having sex mm. and, you know, and it, it was a lot more common than I would have ever thought. And, you know, I found out that a lot, there's a large um, percentage of women who have pain during intercourse. There's um, endometriosis actually that affects one out of 10 women. And mm-hmm. if you think of the statistic, one out of 10, one out of 10 people on this planet have cancer and every single person on this planet knows where cancer is. So it's really yeah. insane to me how we don't know about these things that affect such a huge population. So with that being said, um, I was shook. <laughs> I, was, I mean, yeah, those are the things you don't, I guess, like, in, like, until you start telling that story, those are the, like, I guess, um, some of the ramifications of like chronic pain that you don't really think about if it's not something you're going through or, or know someone who's going through that I would have initially thought like, oh, fuck are they fucking like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and I just, you know, I just took it on as like my personal task to figure it out because everybody deserves pleasure. And that's why it's like our tagline pleasure is your birthright, all, all races and all genders. And the more I grow in this company, cause we've been doing it for eight years, wow. the more I grow in this company, I learned so much on why it needs to happen. You know, we started off this as a fight to raise awareness on endometriosis because we were finding that these women were saying it was effective, right? And Mm. it was worth doing the research for. So that's why we spearhead our pleasure labs. But beyond like, you know, endometriosis, there's also so much sexual shame and guilt when it comes to uh, a lot of like, religious um sexual oppressions right Mm -hmm. which is another thing which is a huge demographic of people and then we have you know lgbtq communities that need sexual education that's updated with you know things that make sense (laughs) and um for us by us and the more i i do uh, and you know we create safe spaces for assault survivors so the more that i just show up in this work, fighting for people to have pleasure, finding people to understand that not only do they deserve it, but they can obtain it. And yes, mm-hmm. it's difficult because there could be a lot of barriers, whether that's physical, mental, you know, like shame, guilt, um, pain, mm-hmm. cannabis can help. Right. <laughs> like, that's the craziest yeah. part is that cannabis is the perfect concoction for pleasurable experiences. Oh, yeah, because I mean, sex on cannabis is the best sex is everything right? <laughs> so, <laughs> like it's it's mind-boggling what I love is that I actually before I even started off into holistic nutrition I was learning tantra mm-hmm. and tantra is about sacred 
intimacy. And it's not only a philosophy, but it's also a practice. And what I love about it is that it's life-changing and beautiful to witness. And I think that everybody should try at least once. But the thing is, is that it's an ancient philosophy that has like old ancient transcripts that include cannabis for aphrodisiac practices and erotic experiences. So this is nothing new. And I think I could feel that. And I think a lot of cannabis consumers feel that there's a very spiritual connection with cannabis. And I think that can be when used intentionally and mindfully in the bedroom, it can have incredible sexual healing experiences, whether that's you using cannabis as um, capsules just to help you if you're dealing with PTSD as assault survivors do. Like myself, I love capsules and tinctures just for my daily remedies to keep those things away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as a person that also has pain during intercourse, sometimes the suppositories are incredibly effective at helping me mitigate pain. Um, and that's internal. So whether that's external, internal, whether I'm like having an incredibly stressful day to the point where my muscles are just aching because they've been tense all day mm-hmm. using our cannabis bath salts just to melt those stresses away. Cannabis is just so right. beautiful. I got to go we not yeah. love it and use it in so all of these ways. That's why mm-hmm. it's like, we weren't going to come up with just a lube, like with the frick. There's yeah. so right. much. To Cannab- like the lube mental, is you know? literally a whole new world, So <laughs> seriously, when I first use it for the first time, it, lip, it, Jasmine, a whole new world in my head. <laughs> exactly. Right. Agreed. <laughs> That's what's like, like you, like you said, what makes cannabis so beautiful is like just the different ways that you can utilize its benefits. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just, it's amazing. And, um, yeah, you I guys just, do fun. You guys do some fun stuff too. Yeah. Like just, your speed dating, your virtual speed dating. I saw you do like panels and talks. Oh my God. Really? What don't we do? It's <laughs> my little hedonistic like planet that I've created. <laughs> that I love. You know, after this quarantine is over, we've been our, our wait lists for our pleasure retreats on Pleasure Island have been growing like crazy. I'm so excited to like get that back again, um, where we have like aphrodisiac infused foods and um, tantric massages by the like the beach and um, waterfall practices. And you know you can have, you could come single or partnered. All of these different types of experiences and. Um, not only do we do Pleasure Island, we have our Pleasure Talks platform that we love to highlight all different sorts of cannabis sexual experiences because like we mentioned, there's so much under this umbrella and it's just about raising awareness on these topics. And we're starting, we're going to create a pleasure school soon. I'm really excited Mm. about that because I speak all the time on cannabis and sex on so many, a variety of topics. And what I want to do is I want to bring in other teachers to talk about their expertise on, on whatever it is that they're killer at and just share this community of pleasure seekers. Because I think that when I started my pleasure journey, 
I had no idea what I was getting myself into at all. And I'm glad that I did it. And I'm so thankful for that. And I want other people to have that experience, whether that's virtual or in person. We did have a ton of in-person events prior to COVID. Who knows what the world will look like? <laughs> will we will we right. meet on the moon? Who knows? But they open those borders back up. I'm coming to Pleasure Island. Exactly. <laughs> but in the meantime, we're definitely going to do things virtual. And yeah. if they open up our our virtual island retreats, will be amazing for sure. There's so much that we have in the works that I would love to share, but it's exciting to be a part of sex tech and the sex revolution in today's. Um, age in 2021 for sure. I bet. And we we can find your sex column. You link it to Pleasure Peaks Instagram. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I love it. Cool. It's through the Growth Op, which is a part of the Financial Post here in Canada. <laughs> I love that. Um, like the focus is on pleasure. I feel like you know when you hear about cannabis and sex, it's just you know, just just focus about like, cannabis and sex and sex, but. The, I think the switch and what makes you guys so unique is that focus on pleasure and, you know, that, you know, you're deserving, everybody's deserving of pleasure, I think is a really important thing for people to remember, because I think that's something that kind of gets lost for a lot of people. These are the rights we need to be fighting for, okay? In the U.S., we got these crazies fighting for gun rights. No, 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 we need to do pleasure, pleasure rights all around, and the gun rights wouldn't need, need be. Yeah, sign my pleasure petition. I have a pleasure petition because I am sick of being censored on Facebook and Instagram. Like, how could we sell Viagra pills and Bud Light, but yes. I can't sell sex toys? Like, what? <laughs> and you can, you can find that petition if you go to your Instagram at pleasure underscore peaks, right? The link will take you to the petition as well. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about getting the word out about that because it's ridiculous how not only sex workers, but sex educators are being censored. Sex in general is being censored. Even sex art is being censored. And it's an issue. And it will continue to be an issue if the only way that we can access porn is through like you porn and porn tube and places that like you right. don't even is it even age gated i feel like it's so easy to get into those sites yeah it's oh, yeah. like it's insanely easy it's, and it's a lot more difficult to get into dispensary than it is to get into a <laughs> porn site okay and Never, you don't want sex to go underground because then people get hurt minors get you know you want it out there you want well, it and to use and, and the whole like the whole I think shaming of of sex yeah. and and cr- making it into yeah. something that's that's bad um, creates a myriad of issues and problems and you know we've seen the results of things like that with what happened in Atlanta earlier you know at the end of last week so um, yeah I, yeah again villainizing like pleasure specifically the pleasure of women is really f- I'm fucking over that shit too. <laughs> Guys to go. And, and it's it always mind boggles me that it's still here, but I always approach it with compassion cuz I view I view it very similar to the stigma surrounding cannabis. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like the same people. Oh my gosh, cannabis is going to kill you. It's like the devil's lettuce. And it's like, <laughs> no, dude, like chill out. You oh, just don't know any better and that's okay. Right. You know like really? We'll have a talk on cannabinoids and where we're at today and what's actually happening in reality. And, you know, and I think it's, it's always that challenge to have that conversation 
but I think that, you know, I've had lots of practice that I love challenging those conversations all the time because you'll, you'll know that they're not there. It's always deeply rooted in fear. And the yeah. only thing that oh, breaks yeah. through fear mm-hmm. is radical love. And they hate that stuff. And it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy to give, you know, right. and show right. that this is nothing to be threatened from at all. It's just, they need to know these hardcore facts. And sometimes, yeah, you're right. It doesn't always work, but I think it's worth challenging those conversations rather than not having them and just letting them slide because they're not okay. That's not okay. Yeah. And it's, I know it's such a touchy time that we're in, but I think it's so fascinating and exciting to be a part of history because that's just what's happening right now. We have a huge shift now we don't even know where we're going but we're excited to be a part of it and we know we want it don't want it to go that way (laughs) we're not going back that's for sure right so we know we're not going it's interesting you say it's like the same type of people that have that that cannabis and kind of sex stigma when it comes specifically to pleasure it's like yeah i'm gonna get high and have an orgasm deal with it you know (laughs) like you should too. You might be fucking happier. You might not be so tightly wound up. Um, yeah, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's interesting, and I and I like the idea of you know kind of fighting that back with with radical love and how much that fucking winds them up too. <laughs> yeah, that really hits. It really hits here. I yeah, so like, I'm being facetious when you say that. Yeah, what? yeah. radical love. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know, why let them like you know kill your buzz? It just works though. It yeah. just works because they can't, they can't fight it. They can't question it. And if they do question it, they're questioning themselves. And right. Once they start questioning themselves, that's where the growth happens, baby. <laughs> Lean into it. Lean into it. All right. Feel it. <laughs> um, it's, it's been so great talking with you before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, Cause we're just running out of a little time. Uh, just you know, what, what do you do? You have a strain you prefer during inter, uh, during your sexual experiences? You like indicas? You like sativas? What's your yeah? You one of my pleasure? favorite. One of my favorite. Um, one of my favorite strains is Super Silver Haze in the bedroom. Oh, my that's God, a good, yes, that's I really. Good. I don't know if you guys noticed, but it just like just it's like ecstasy it's just like makes you fall in love with like anyone who's in front of you even a tree like anything it's well, just okay you're speaking to the right person here is a big tree hugger so that it's was like just, the perfect analogy <laughs> it's like wearing love glasses that's what i love about super silver haze mm. so much wow. and what a nice endorsement when it's when it's grown in bc that's when it's beautiful you know it's just uh, yeah, BC That's British Brad Columbia is... for all you dummies out there. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're really stoned and you're like, wait, what? that happens. Did you say too? DC? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been such a pleasure. It's been great. I'm gonna pick up some yeah. super silver haze next time I see it. Like, mm. oh, oh, should yeah. we do? Why don't we do our Queen of the Week with Antoinette before we leave? Because we forgot oh, yeah. to give her a shout out last yeah. week. Queen of the Week. Queen of the week. It's the queen of the week. Tiffany Haddish. Uh, uh, her, she, she, she cried. Ahead, oh my God. Yeah, she was filming. What was it? The kids say the darndest thing, or is that like mm-hmm. show that she was took over for Bill Cosby? 
Well, yeah. real, real, there was somebody in between her and Bill Cosby. <laughs> but um, I, I think I think she just like they never had another. No, really... I think it was like canceled, and then she got oh, the she reboot. Took but anyway, she yeah. was uh, she was talking to these little girls, and then you know, the producers told her in her you know her mic that or headset that she had won the Grammy. And she just gave a really beautiful, inspirational speech to the girls about like not giving up on their dreams and to keep fighting. Mm. And it was really sweet. And the and the last the last woman of color, oh yeah, or maybe to win a to win a Grammy was Whoopi in 1986. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's 34 years ago. Oh, oh. yeah, I just know that because I was born in 1986. Uh. <laughs> it was like, have you seen those memes where it's like? Oh, can I see your ID? And it's just like, uh, oh, that was quick. It's like, well, it starts with 19. So, yeah, it starts with the, <laughs> yeah, it's just the one. <laughs> no. Um, well, yes, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a wonderful conversation. And just let everybody know where they can follow you. Want to make sure everybody goes and uh, signs that pleasure uh, petition because we're trying to get our pleasure censored out here on these social media streets. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. This is so amazing to be here on this podcast. You can find us at pleasurepeaks.com. You can find me at antoinettegomez.com. Um, my personal IG is A-N-T-U-A-N-E-T-T-E-G. Antoinette, it's spelled the Spanish translation. So it's a little different. People mm-hmm. always think there's an O and an I, but there's not. Mm-hmm. And um our our instagram is pleasure underscore peaks please sign up to our newsletter we have so much fun events like our, our <laughs> sounds like it dating events our speed dating events are so cool we're gonna have more of those and um yeah join the pleasure community <laughs> yeah we'll we'll tag you in our ig posts and uh, make sure you. people can find yeah i'm signing up Amazing. for that newsletter because like i said i want to go to oh, yeah. pleasure island once it's back and running Get some super yeah. silver haze. Meet you at Pleasure oh. Island. Mm-hmm. Maybe and... go to that one of those outdoor spas. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I always got a spa in my mind. I mean, I'm not mad. At the it. only Which... way. Yeah. Um... And then as always, <laughs> <laughs> and as always, guys, you can find us at highly underscore political. And uh, you know, feel free to like, subscribe, tell a friend, and uh, talk to you next week. Bye.